Today's reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, the fourth chapter. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted forty days and forty nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. The word of the Lord. What a great turnout for a Wednesday afternoon service. I'm impressed with your enthusiasm for Lent. While today's reading comes near the beginning of Matthew's Gospel, a lot has already Happened. In Matthew's version of things, the angel has promised Joseph that the child in Mary's womb comes from the Holy Spirit. The angel has also told Joseph that the child will be called Emmanuel, or God with us. The Magi have come from afar to worship the newborn king. And that newborn king, now a grown man, has just been baptized by John the Baptizer in the Jordan River. And at the moment of that baptism, Matthew tells us the heavens were opened to Jesus and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is my Son, The beloved with whom I am well pleased. These words affirm for us that Jesus is the promised God with us. The promised salvation of humanity. It's this newly baptized Jesus, God with us, who removes himself to the wilderness, fasting for 40 days and 40 nights in order to prepare for his mission of salvation. But what exactly is this mission of salvation? One common version of the Christian story can make it sound like Jesus comes to us because we first rebelled against God. In this version of Christianity, Jesus comes to us because God wants to fix the problem we have created. The problem of disobedience. Sin. In this version of the story, Jesus is God's reaction 
to our transgressions. Jesus is the divine solution to a human problem. And in this version of the story, the divine solution is usually identified more specifically as the cross. The cross is a sacrifice that atones for our sins, and thus the problem of sin is solved. Jesus comes to die, and we are reconciled to God. There is some truth, maybe a lot of truth, to this version of the Christian story. For instance, there's no question that sin is a problem, and that it's a problem we humans have created. Sin infests each one of us individually, and it infests us collectively, which is to say sin is systemic. And yes, God acts in and through the person of Jesus to fix this problem. And yes, numerous New Testament passages connect God's salvation to the cross. The cross does have saving power. But here's the part that should concern us. Is Jesus really God's reaction to human transgression? Is it not the case, rather, that God desires from eternity to be Emmanuel, God with us? In the beginning was the Word that was God, and the Word of God became flesh to dwell with us. I would argue that this is who God is from eternity. It's the God who desires to dwell with us, not just in some half-hearted spiritual way, but all the way by being us. God's love becomes incarnate because that is who God is and always has been and always will be. Now, it's only fitting that God, by dwelling with us, provided the remedy for our sin. But just because Jesus provides the remedy for our sin doesn't mean that our sin triggered the coming of Jesus. Think about it. If God were only concerned with forgiving our sins, God could simply sit back and acquit us from afar. And unfortunately, this is still a common misconception, even within the church. God as the distant, heavenly judge who turns a blind eye to our sin. In truth, however, God's love runs much deeper than that. God wants not only to forgive us, God wants fellowship with us. God wants Intimacy, a transforming intimacy. Authentic love doesn't just forgive, it transforms. God dwells with us in order to transform us into the image of the Son who is the very embodiment of God's love. Earlier I asked, what is Jesus' mission of salvation? It's simply this, to be God with us. And as God with us to draw us into fellowship with Him, and by drawing us into fellowship to transform us into love. In today's reading, the devil seems to know exactly who Jesus is. He may not grasp 
Jesus' mission, but he does seem to know who he is. How he knows is not entirely clear. It could be that he was spying on Jesus' baptism. That would be a very devilish thing to do. That was when God announced, this is my son. Maybe the devil heard that. However he knows, he knows. And if you would indulge me just for a minute, there's a grammatic detail in Matthew's Greek that bears this out. The non-technical summary goes like this. Sometimes when you hear if in an English translation of the New Testament, and I want to emphasize sometimes, hardly all the time, but sometimes when you hear if, what the Greek text is saying is actually something more like because or since. And that's what's happening in the first two temptations in our reading today. When the devil says, if you are the Son of God, we should hear not, I'm wondering if you're the Son of God. We should hear, since you are the Son of God. Since you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Since you are the Son of God, throw yourself down so that God can save you. From the devil's perspective, Jesus, because he is the Son of God, should be able to channel some of that divine power for self-serving purposes. In the first instance, he's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, so why not turn those stones into bread? Why not carbo-load before embarking on the great mission? And in the second instance, the Father obviously loves the Son. So why not do a little showing off? Why not jump from the pinnacle of the temple in full view of everyone, knowing that the Father will save you? That would be so cool. Jesus, show us all who you really are. Think of it like this. The devil defines Son of God in a devilish way. He defines it as power and prestige. As someone leveraging power and prestige to control others, to promote themselves at the expense of the less powerful. From the devil's perspective, Jesus isn't being the Son of God until he acts in these powerful, self-promoting ways. Ironically, though, It's in resisting these temptations that Jesus defines for us what it means for him to be the Son of God. Remember, this is the God whose love means fellowship, not self-promotion, not exploitation, but rather holy and transforming intimacy. This is the God who from eternity is God with us. Jesus comes to us to be God with us. And the devil may be able to tempt Jesus with an alternative vision, but because Jesus is the Son who lives by every word that comes from the mouth of his Father, he cannot fall victim to temptation. That's why the book of Hebrews calls Jesus the high priest who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. 
C.S. Lewis, the famous British writer, once wrote that the devil loves it when we depict him in a clownish red costume with horns sprouting from his head and pitchfork in hand. The devil loves this caricature because he knows that enlightened people will not take it seriously. Enlightened people will see the Halloween costume and conclude that such a figure could never exist. And the caricature, of course, does not exist. But like Lewis, I'm not so sure about the devil himself. I have a hard time thinking that all of existence is limited to what we can experience just with our five senses. So it's not hard for me to imagine the existence of spiritual beings, some supporting God's mission, others opposing God's mission to be with us. If something like the devil does exist, then he and his minions probably look forward to the season of Lent. Not because Lent is a bad thing, but because Lent affords them new opportunities to get between us and the God who desires to be with us. During the 40 days of Lent, we prepare for Jesus' passion and resurrection. And part of that preparation involves a deliberate and sustained focus on our sins. How our thoughts and words and deeds undermine the fellowship that God seeks with each of us. This Lenten discipline is a very, very good thing, provided we keep in view the broader story of God's mission to be with us. A focus on our sins might lead to contrition, perhaps even to some degree of corrected behavior. Maybe we can arouse enough guilt in ourselves that we can amend some of our ways. But corrected behavior in and of itself is not fellowship with God. The devil would like nothing more than for us to hold fast to that image of God as the heavenly authoritarian who demands and acquits from a distance. Because while the devil may not have known it then, he certainly knows it now that God is from eternity God with us. That our salvation comes by way of intimate fellowship with an all-loving and all-merciful God. My friends, Lent is a solemn time to remember our shortcomings and to open our eyes to the many temptations that confront us, but it's also a time to remember the wonderful fellowship that our sins inhibit. To remember that we were created to love and enjoy God. God was not with us once upon a time. God is with us now. God pulls us into an eternal embrace the name of that embrace is Jesus, and it is within this embrace that we find our healing and our true transformation. 
Within this embrace, we hear God's assuring words, You are my son, and you are my daughter. With you, I am well pleased. Amen.